Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're going to continue our series today on God and money with a message entitled More Wisdom on Money. So let's join Dr. Newfeld now as we begin. The book of Proverbs is a book whose single purpose is to teach us skill in living. It covers all manner of subjects, everything from sex to politics to, to learning, to work, to attitudes, to all manner of relationships. But one of the key areas of discussion is skill in living with money. Yesterday, I began to mine some of its wisdom regarding money, and today, I want to continue in that vein of thought. But today, I want to concentrate on three very important areas. The first is spending money, the second, borrowing money, and the third, saving money. Look, I'm aware that many of us struggle financially. We have debts. We struggle with not having enough income. We feel there are things that we would so like to afford, but we can't. And because of that, we often feel we can't give. Our job is uncertain. Our lack of money has meant a lack of freedom. We would love to be able to have a little extra for things like vacations. We have stress in our lives because of money problems. Sometimes money problems lead to marriage problems. And sometimes money problems even lead to illegal activity. And the foolish person says, all I need is to win the lottery. But the prudent person says, all I need is more wisdom. And God in the richness of his mercy has provided us with a book entitled Proverbs, intended to teach us wisdom. I'm reading Proverbs 3, 13 to 18. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. See, my prayer is that all who are listening today might internalize this truth. Wisdom can give you what money can't. It can give you long life, real or genuine riches and satisfaction. Wisdom by itself is far more valuable than money. See, I know some of you struggle to believe that. But if getting wisdom cost you all you had, that would be a very good investment indeed. It would be the best investment you ever made. So how is wisdom related to money? Listen to Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Let me leave the full meaning of first fruits to another time. But so we don't lose the idea, a first fruit is giving off the top and not off the bottom. Before I spend, I give. Before I save, I give. Before I do anything with my paycheck, I've already given a portion of what I have to the Lord. I'm not giving what's left over. I give before anything is left over. That's what first fruit giving means. Now, in this, there's a promise. Do that as a course of habit, as a discipline. And with this comes a promise, there will be enough, even more than enough. Now, this is not a magic formula, but first fruit giving sets the stage for everything that follows. And so today, I will talk about what follows. That is, after having given, what do we then do with our money and then leaving my last address to the matter of giving? 
let's talk about spending money. All of us know that how we spend money has everything in the world to do with the kind of lifestyle we want to live. And it's precisely in this area that we find our souls in peril. Proverbs 27 verse 20 is a passage I read yesterday, but let me read it again today. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. Stop and think about that. No matter how much you get, it will never satisfy, but it will enlarge your capacity to want more. And so it will enlarge our appetite, but not satisfy our hunger. Think about that. You see, how many of us actually know how to differentiate between wants and needs? Just like the grave that never is satisfied with its victims, so are our desires. If I could only get, and then we fill in what that thing is, be it property or automobiles or a trip, financial independence at a level that makes me free, if only I could get that thing, well, then I'd be satisfied. But that's a delusion. For Christians, our satisfaction should be in God. Anything else is idolatry. Now, of course, what I'm saying doesn't preclude the joy of allowing ourselves the enjoyment of some things. But all wise Christians are aware of the cycle of ever-increasing wants that begin to consume us. When Paul in Philippians 4.13 said that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him, he didn't mean that he could accomplish any goal that he set before himself. He meant specifically that he could live in contentment whether he was rich or poor, and that is the secret of godliness. So let's now examine how we spend money. First, there are the basics. Food, shelter, and clothing. But as we all know, these items are far more than basic. I can choose to eat out a lot, and immediately the cost goes up. I can choose a house that contains a mortgage that consumes more than half of my salary. Now the costs of shelter, well, they're suffocating. I can wear designer clothing. You see, the basics can become anything but basic, and like Sheol and Abaddon, our level of dissatisfaction knows no end until we've run out of money and end up being dissatisfied with God. God, we say, you've promised to meet all my needs, and I find that I don't have enough. That's because our hearts are like Sheol. Of course, once we get beyond the basics and begin to desire all the latest electronic wizardry that our day has to offer, once you desire not just several weeks with a family, but a vacation to an exotic resort, I mean, once you desire expensive jewelry and more, you'll soon find yourself wishing that you had more, more money surely required. So let me share a little secret. It comes from many places in the Bible, and you'd have to be blind or deaf not to hear it. For instance, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When David says one thing, he means that there is in him a desire that eclipses all other desires. It was Martin Luther who wrote, Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. See, be wise like David and continually ask God that he would supplant all other desires with a desire to gaze on the loveliness of the Lord. Tell your soul, I'd be content with that. And when God becomes for you all that your soul longs for, we'll be able to turn off the wanter, you know, the continual desire of wanting more things. 
until your spending reflects that you've mastered the perpetual dissatisfaction within you, that you have become content in the Lord, nothing of what I say will ever help. See, there are people who make $60,000 a year, and it's not enough. And if they make $100,000 a year, that too would not be enough. And when it grows to $200,000, that also would not be enough. They tell themselves that there is a time when it is enough, and they'll know when they get there. But in truth, there is no such place at all. Like Sheol and Abaddon, you will never have enough. See, all of this has nothing to do with money. It has to do with a soul that is not satisfied in God. Maybe you don't know it yet, but Jesus said it best in Matthew 6:24. You cannot serve God in money. You'll either serve one or you'll serve the other, but it's impossible to do both. You know, maybe you've been lying to yourself. You've been saying, I will do what Jesus says can't be done. I will serve both, but it's self-deception. You must come to the place where your desires are as David's, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So at this point in time, we're ready to move from what we need to earn to the money we borrow. Let's talk about debt. According to the most recent data from the Bank of Canada, if we exclude the mortgages on our homes, the average Canadian now has a debt of $20,759. But another agency, TransUnion, estimates that number is higher at $21,686. And of that, the average Canadian has a credit card debt of almost $4,000. Furthermore, all indications show that that number is going up and not down. For a great many of us, it's not a matter of paying off the debt. It's a matter of managing the debt. If the interest rates spike, a great many Canadians are in trouble. Furthermore, the interest rates on credit cards, I mean, I always like to say, is high enough to put the loan sharks out of business. Does the Bible have something to say about debt? Well, yes, it does. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is a slave of the lender. Do you want to be a slave? Then simply whip out that credit card and spend what you don't have. Offering Bible teaching resources that provide relevant biblical truth is at the center of the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. This month, our daily Bible teaching program focuses on the expositional teaching of the Gospel of Matthew chapters 11 to 13 entitled The Mysteries of the Kingdom. How is it in a world so out of control that we believe God is in control? It's a mystery, but a mystery revealed in His Word. This series, along with every Back to the Bible Canada resource, is made available free to anyone who would know the truth about God. Every program, article, blog, video, online, podcast, mobile app, or even the Truth in Life magazine is simply free. A goal of Back to the Bible Canada is Bible teaching without barrier. Special thanks to all those who make this possible. To know more or to partner with Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Today, the average North American spends 10 times more paying off interest on their debts than they spend on giving. In other words, we give to the banks and the loan companies all that we have. Proverbs 13, 7-9 says, One pretends to be rich yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. 
Slavery and pretense. That's what borrowing money is all about. I want to speak about something that we think has been eradicated in the Western world, but that which is in fact all too common. Being in debt is essentially slavery. It's a servitude which consumes our lives, removes our freedom, and even takes away our ability to serve the Lord. How many of us would not be able to respond to God's call into missions today because of our debt load? And here's the amazing conclusion that some of us have come up with. I need greater income. Over more than 35 years of pastoral ministry, I've seen something which is so common and so repeated that I've begun to take it for granted. A person has a lifestyle the best they can afford. Then their income increases, and immediately they bump their lifestyles higher and are again at the maximum. Now, this they keep on doing and complain that they simply can't get ahead and they can't afford to be generous. Sheol is not satisfied. See, from my perspective, a reasonable mortgage on a home is often a good thing. But what's reasonable? My suggestion is that you counsel a Christian who understands money and lives by biblical wisdom and get that counsel. But some of us have extended that principle that a mortgage is a good thing to everything, from cars to furniture to computers to vacations to Christmas gifts to jewelry. Well, you name it. Sheol is not satisfied. And we live in a society that's made that all too easy. It's called a credit card. And for some of us, it has robbed us of faithfulness to the Lord. If you're one of those people who pay off your credit card each month, do you know what the credit card companies call you? (laughs) They call you a deadbeat. See, if you have a problem with this, you need plastic surgery. You need to cut up all of your plastic cards. Do it today. Even if you can pay off your card each month, card people will tell you that you will spend over 20% more if you use either a bank card or a credit card as opposed to cash. So I challenge you for about six months, decide to make only cash purchases, and you'll find yourself far more careful around money. Randy Alcorn has said something that each one of us should consider. Whenever we get into debt, we say five things to God. First, God, I need more than you've given me. Second, God, you failed to provide for my needs. Third, God, because of your failure, I'm forced to take matters into my own hands and entrust my future to the visa company and not to you. And fourth, God, I know that my circumstances won't change in the future. My health and job and salary will always be the same as they are today. And fifth, God, you better not call me to do anything that involves a lower salary or increases my giving because I can't. See, a great Christian, Cyprian of Carthage, who lived in the 200s, spoke well on this issue. He said their property held them in chains, chains which shackled their courage and choked their faith and hampered their judgment and throttled their souls. They think of themselves as owners, whereas it is they rather who are owned. Enslaved as they are to their own property, they are not the masters of their money, but the slaves. You see, Sheol enlarges its mouth. It's never satisfied. One of the keys to living victoriously with money is the ability to live modestly. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. 
But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. See, you might want to live in a house that you can afford. You might want to drive a car that you can afford, or you might take a bus. You know, if that means you're driving an older model rather than a newer one, well, be thankful. You might want to plan a family vacation in a tent. You might want to learn contentment. Colossians 3.5 calls covetousness, that is, desiring what we don't have, idolatry. Our world calls it a chance to use your line of credit, and you have to decide. Who do you think is right? And by the way, on student loans, I worked and took classes at a slower pace and graduated without a student loan. I know it's not always possible, but often I think it is. You see, I have four postgraduate degrees and never took a loan and no sugar daddy paid for my schooling. Well, let's talk about the next item. Let's talk about saving money. Proverbs 13 verse 11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. There's so much more I could say here, but time limits. First of all, notice money is gathered little by little. See, a recent study found that among lottery winners, that six months later, their happiness level was about the same as someone in a wheelchair. Listen, if you play the lottery, there are two tragedies. One is not to win, and that'll be the majority of us. If you play the lottery, What do you do to yourself? Well, take two $20 bills and flush them down the toilet. How does that feel? And if you still don't get what I'm getting at, repeat the same process over and over again until you get the idea. But here's a second tragedy. According to all the studies, it's greater than the first. The people who win are almost all in horrible shape and the suicide rate is high. So what should you do? Well, first, save your money, but don't hoard it. Ah, yes, the greedy miser. But where's the line between them? Well, first of all, some of you are looking to be so well taken care of that you know that you'll never have to trust the Lord to supply. How tragic. Second, you should seek no more than what you need. Some of you will pile up money for a lifetime, and someone else is going to get it. I mean, why are you doing that? So what's your goal with your money? Are you ready? Here's the biblical goal for your money. Aim to give it all away because you're going to do that anyway. 1 Timothy 6 verse 7 says, We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. How many of you have ever seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse? Never. The very second you breathe your last breath, you are bereft of all your wealth. You are at that moment as poor as the most destitute man or woman on the earth. If you have not built wealth in eternity through your generosity, you have nothing. And so what should you do with your savings? Save as much as you need to live modestly and then give it all away. Now, I know, I know. Some of us are looking to make our children rich when we die. You know, we love to quote Proverbs 12, verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. But I fear we've taken that verse out of context. People did not have the kind of bank account that we have in those days. Their wealth was taken up in land and in cattle. So what would you give your children and their children was a means of livelihood, a way for them to be productive. You would bequeath them a farm or some enterprise that allowed them to continue to be productive. You would make sure that your children and their children would be productive for a lifetime. And it is important that we not leave every generation bereft. 
But what some of us are planning is leaving our children with the means of not being productive, of being idle and busybodies, not skillful, and certainly not influential. We would make them rich. Some of our children don't need to win the lottery. The jackpot for them happens when you die. And then, with your wealth, you will sink them into ruin and disobedience, and some will wander from the Lord because of that. See, I think helping our children with modest amounts will give them a measure of freedom, and that's good. But I've had conversations with children who threaten their parents for the money. And I've had conversations with parents worried about the great amount of money that they're going to leave to their kids. Here's a question. Why are you not giving your money away to the work of the Lord? Remember what we've been saying all week? The very first, most important lesson of all is simply this. The money is not yours. You should aim to die broke. Explain to your children that you will be there and give them the ability to choose between right and wrong, to trust in the Lord, to get a career that will match their gifts, and to help them impact a nation for Christ. You might even help them get over some financial humps, but that your money is actually God's money. And by the time you die, all will have been given to the master, invested in his work. Nothing will be left but enough for a box to put you into the ground. And then you're going to go home to the riches that you have been saving for in heaven. Can you live that way? John, as we were talking off the air, there's a whole lot of things that are conjured up, a whole lot of questions. But as I was thinking about it, you know, our whole trust in money, our whole drive towards money, we have a tendency that when when we actually get money, that all our other priorities sort of fall to the wayside. You know, I've been telling you that I have a pet peeve, and maybe I'm going to express it right now. I mean, all those years as a pastor, I saw something with alarming regularity. I saw people who, when they finally got enough to retire, just dropped out. I mean, before that moment, they were involved in, you know, Sunday school, greeting people. I mean, they were in discipleship groups, all sorts of stuff that people do to minister. And the minute they retired, I mean, they were gone. They were in the Sunshine States. Nothing wrong with that, but I could never count on them ever again. And I saw that the money had taken away the heart for ministry. And you've got to ask yourself, man, if money has done that, don't you see what an alarming danger that kind of money can be? Fascinating thing is, all sorts of people will say, you know, money won't harm me, it'll harm other people, but never me. Are we so sure that's true? That's a great word. Thanks so much, John. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. grateful you joined us today for Back to the Bible Canada. We believe faithful Bible teaching is critical for God's people, and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program available on this station. We do know, though, that there are times when it's not possible to listen on the radio. So for your convenience, we provide a number of free listening options. Listen online at backtothebible.ca, sign up for the daily podcast, subscribe for the free mobile app, or check out the weekly Truth and Life Today video broadcast on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. Just a few of the free Bible teaching opportunities available for Canadians and around the globe, but only available because of the passion and generosity of so many across this country. Thanks for all you do. Call us today with your support or for ministry information. 
at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.